Fighting the British army on the streets with violence is hopeless. Guns and rifles against tanks and machine guns. I expected something different. What? A wild man with a shillelagh screaming death to the queen or something? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Excuse me, excuse me. Come on now, come on. Who needs a pen? You show me your check, I'll match it dollar for dollar. Hey, it might be warm here, but those kids in Belfast need winter coats. This is God's house. John Karun, you know why I'm here. Drop the gun, now! This is the Vice of Miami podcast, where your hosts, Mark and Tim, review the iconic TV show Miami Vice. Set against the backdrop of Miami's vibrant nightlife and drug trade, Miami Vice followed Detective Sonny Crockett and Ricardo Tubbs and the entire OCB team as they battled the scourge of the mid and late 80s. With its unforgettable characters, stylish fashion, and epic soundtrack, Miami Vice captured the spirit of the times and left a lasting impact on popular culture. Join us as we dive deep into the world of Miami Vice and explore the show's enduring legacy. And we do welcome you back to the Vice of Miami podcast for show number 49. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our last show covering the season two recap with Marina from the Vice and Easy podcast. We really had a great time working with her. Check out her podcast and content. Look for Vice and Easy. So as always, sit back, relax, Grab a beverage and enjoy the Vice of Miami podcast covering season three, episode one, When Irish Eyes Are Crying. And this episode is written by John Leakley, directed by Mario DeLeo, original air date September 26th, 1986. And this is the 45th episode overall. And our plot summary here, Gina falls for an Irish pacifist who is, in reality, still a member of a terrorist organization he allegedly parted ways with. Let's cover our guest stars and our co-stars. First up, we've got Liam Neeson as Sean Caroon. Liam was born on June 7, 1952 in Ballymena County, Antrim, Northern Ireland. He's most known for his roles in Schindler's List, Michael Collins, and the Star Wars Episode I, Phantom Menace, and the Chronicles of Narnia. He began acting at age 11 in a school play and continued acting in school productions until his graduation. He then enrolled at Queen's University Belfast in 1971, majoring in physics and computer science. His interest in acting and decision to become an actor was also influenced by Ian Paisley, whose church Liam would sneak into. His first film was 1978's Pilgrim's Progress, playing Jesus Christ. His first TV appearance was for American TV audiences in 1985's miniseries Ellis Island. His biggest movie hits are Taken and his two sequels, Taken 2 and Taken 3. He's married. He was married to actress Natasha Richardson from July 3rd, 1994 until her death on March 18th, 2009. And they have two sons. Interesting fact here, he was named an Order of the British Empire by Queen Elizabeth II. And a sidebar note about this, he also appeared in the fifth installment of the Dirty Harry series, The Deadpool. But we're going to move on here to Martin Ferraro, who reprised his role as Izzy Moreno. But since everybody knows who Izzy is, enough said about that. Enough said. Next up, Paul Gleason as Bunny Berrigan. Paul was born in Jersey City, New Jersey on May 4th, 1939. 
He played two seasons for a minor league team before venturing onto acting. Didn't know what sport. We'll have to check that out. When he landed in L.A., he did two B-flick films, Panic in Year Zero, and It's About Time Before Moving On to TV. He appeared in The Green Hornet, Mission Impossible, Columbo, Banachek, Adam-12, and All My Children. His claim to fame was as Principal Richard Vernon in The Breakfast Club. For the next two weeks, you're mine. After his vice role, he appeared in several other shows. He was married to first to actress Candy Moore, then to Susan Keel until his death in 2006 from mesothelioma at the age of 67. And Mark, next we have Daniel Jarrell as Scotland Yard agent Richard Crofts. Dan is a British actor born in London on October 16, 1951. He trained at the Central School of Speech and Drama in London. He appeared in several British movies and TV shows before his breakout role as Henry Stollard in Chariots of Fire. His first American TV appearance was in the miniseries The Woman in White. After Vice, he appeared on Law & Order, Ugly Betty, Knott's Landing, Cheers, and many others. Film appearances include The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Freedom, and his most recent in 2016's Custody. He has been married to Patricia Callenberg since 1986, and they have three children. Next, we have Walter Gotell as Max Kleiser. Walter was a British-German actor born in Bonn, Germany on March 15, 1924. His family emigrated to the U.S. after Hitler and a Nazi regime came to power. Most of his roles were as German henchmen appearing in The Goose, Step, the Goose Steps Out, The Guns of Navarone, great movie, The African Queen, another good one, and Boys from Brazil. TV roles include appearances on The A-Team, Fall Guy, Tales from the Crypt, MacGyver, Cagney and Lacey, The X-Files, and his final appearance in the movie Pris Valiant. He appeared in seven James Bond movies as well. He was a businessman who used his acting money to finance his business interests. Walter died on May 5th, 1997 at the age of 73 from cancer. And our final guest star for this episode is Jeff Fahey as Eddie Kay. Jeff was born on November 29th, 1952 in Olean, New York. He received his training at the Studio Arena Theater in Buffalo, New York. He received a scholarship to the Joffrey Ballet and studied under Myra Rostova. He then moved to television on the soap opera One Life to Live. His debut film was in Silverado. Other films include Lawnmower Man and Wide Earp. His return to the small screen included roles in The Marshall, Nash Bridges, Crossing Jordan, among others. We could find nothing in... in uh, Jeff's bio about his personal life. And rounding out this episode, we got the co-stars here, Matt Ford as Intruder and Barry Grayson as Father Gaffney. And now some Miami Vice in the news. Burt Young turned 83 on April 30th. You'll remember Burt playing Lupo Ramirez head of a call girl operation in the episode Give a Little, Take a Little in Season 1. And on May 1st, John Deal, the peanut butter to Switex jelly, none other than Zito, turns 73. Happy birthday, gentlemen. Happy birthday. On April 28th, 2023, MovieWeb reported that Liam Neeson will reprise his role as ice road trucker Mike McGann in the sequel to 2021's The Ice Road, the sequel is titled Ice Road 2, Road to the Sky.
And we've come to the discussion portion of our program. And as you'll notice, we kind of are changing it up a little bit. We're going to put the the trivia and the goofs after discussion because we kind of noticed that when we did that beforehand, it would kind of, for a lack of a better term, act as a spoiler. So we don't want to ruin the episode until we get through the discussion. So Tim, why don't you take away the episode discussion first off? And for my beverage, I've got an Amaretto uh, Sour. So yummy. Tim, take it away. All righty. So season three opens at a church where Gene is attending. We don't know whether it's as vice or under personal circumstances, a church fundraiser for children in Northern Ireland. The MC is a Sean Caroon, who was played by Liam Neeson. He is an ex IRA member and is talking about the plight of the, of North Ireland to raise the funds for kids. We have Zito and Switek listening in assuming that it's the Bugbusters van and hoping this isn't a lame deal handed him from Izzy Moreno. It appears that Gina is smitten with Sean and engages in conversation. Bunny Barrington, played by Paul Gleason, boasts that he will match dollar for dollar anyone's donation there. Suddenly, a shot rings out. Zeno and Switep come running in. A priest steps in between Sean and the gunman. Gina attempts to stop the gunman, but is forced to shoot him. And then they learn once they pull his mask off, that he was a young boy. I, I This was also very kind of confusing, at least at the onset. I we'll wish Gina there as vice or personal, um, but assuming... You know, j- just because... Vice, yeah, just because Zito and Switek are there, I would I would make the assumption she was there on vice business. So now we're at OCB here. The vice crew minus Trudy at this particular time are going over what went down. Uh, Gina was saying that nothing there really made sense. Uh, Sean was talking about, you know, the plight was going on and then this happens. So nothing made sense. Uh, Crockett senses that someone doesn't want Sean to talk about this. Plausible. Uh, Zeta and Switek are tasked with talking to Sean and Bunny. Uh, he, uh, Castillo tasked them to do that and about what's going down as Castillo doesn't want IRA killings in Miami, which makes sense. He also wants the gun checked out to see if there's a connection. And right away, Tim, I'm sure you noted it too. Crockett's got a different style going on with his hair and his uh, clothing fashion, and Tubbs' hair is shorter as well. Yes. First thing I noticed. Uh, Gino's told to go home until the report on the gums co- uh, gun comes back, and then she seems a little bit miffed at that. And then before she leaves, she walks out of the uh, meeting room there. Trudy asks if she wants backup you know, at home, basically just, you know, a friend to unwind with, maybe have a glass of wine or whatever. And Gina's, you know, she was all pretty much cool with it. She said, no. Gina also gets a call from Sean asking to meet her somewhere. And then she leaves. And then did anybody notice Trudy's nameplate on her desk? Big booty Trudy. That was her nickname. Maybe starting in that ep- this season, but that definitely was her nickname. Mm-hmm. So I now we move on. There's to- no way in heck that would go down now. <laughs> oh no, not at all. Not at all. Can't be peace. It's got the PC please. So nope. Uh anyway, we move on to Bunny Berrigan's place and Zito and Switek are quizzing Bunny on what went down. And he knows why if he knows why anyone would want to kill Sean. He says that the provos or the provincial provisionals wanted him dead for turning his back on violence. The provos are a terrorist faction that thought violence was the only way to rid Ireland of the British. Bunny tells uh, Zito and Switek where Sean is staying, and I believe he originally started. He originally stayed at Bunny's place, but then moved our condo on a beach. Yeah, Sean was staying here, but he moved out this morning. 
he felt that his presence here might represent a, a threat to me or my family. And I tried to tell him that was ridiculous, but I guess he had his mind made up. Do you have any idea why they'd want to kill him? I know why. When Sean turned his back on violence, the provost gave him a death sentence. You know where Mr. Caroon is now? I got him a suite at the beach. So now we're street side. Don't know exactly where, but Crack and Tubbs pull up in the spider. They pull up to Izzy and Manny walking some Great Danes. There's about four or five of them. Izzy explains that they're from his uncle's ranch and it's all legit. Crockett hairs cracking wise about who's going to watch the dog when he goes in the pokey. Pretty much leading that they know that uh, Izzy gave them some bad info here. Crockett says that Zito and Switek want their C-note back for the false information he gave them about the supposed bust earlier and they want information on who his source uh about this irish thing or yeah ireland thing was as izzy played down what happened izzy was hesitant to give the source max kleiser Crockett tubs seem to know of him and i'm getting that Crockett here he's starting off this season great with his spot-on impersonations and he's imitating izzy here so tell me something, who's going to look after these magnificent examples of genetic domineering when you're at the Honor Ranch? No, 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 this is all legal, man. All these dogs got licenses, Supernectar. You got a license to sell false information to Switek and Zito? They'd like their C-note back. What's the problem, Ah, huh? Read the papers. Guns showed up. Gun shooting, man. Not guns running, gun shooting. Hey, I gotta tell you, man, I was just as surprised as you were, you know, because usually this is an impeccable source. Whose name is? I ain't sure you realize. And I ain't sure you realize that if you don't cough it up, you're going in, bucko. As I was saying, I ain't sure you realize that Max Gleiser, as an old acquaintance, would very much like to have a relation with his old pal Sonny Bernay. Max Gleiser, the gun dealer. <laughs> I'm sure you realize. <laughs> so... Gina meets with Sean and they're walking and talking along the beachfront, discussing family, the events of the fundraiser. And then you fast forward to nighttime and dinner with these two, more small talk. Fast forward to Sean's place, no more small talk here. Instead of a Sunny or a Rico love scene, we get a Gina love scene. It's Gina's. Turn. We did have a Trudy love scene last year as well but <laughs> it's, needs gina, it's gina's turn to do the horizontal mambo i, I don't want to i don't want to see the noogie scene if there is one <laughs> <laughs> so anyway we're back at ocb here cracking tubs and castillo and trudy are discussing the case again castillo says that he's got a meeting with max the izzy informant castillo gets a call and it's an ex-commando with the name of Richard Cross, played by Daniel Garol. He's now a terrorism agent with the Scot with Scotland Yard, and he's going to meet with Castillo to go over the case. I got a meeting with Kleiser tonight. If Caroon knew about a major arms deal between the Provost and Kleiser, it'd be a good reason to keep his mouth shut, wouldn't it? Yeah, nonviolence has its own reward. Yes. I've been expecting him send Man by the name of Richard Cross is coming in right now. Ex-SAS commando. He's now in charge of counterterrorism for Scotland Yard. And a bit later, Cross is at OCB, and he's talking about the three-headed monsters in Ireland, which are Sinn Féin, which means ourselves alone, or we ourselves, the IRA, and the Provost. Cross doesn't think really that there's any other way of life in Northern Ireland after Crockett talks, asks about it, meaning nonviolence. No other way except violence. They talk about Sean. Crockett implies that he seems like the Gandhi type. 
Cross disagrees. Trudy says that Gina has met with him, and Cross is concerned as most who would get close to Sean end up dead. So now we move on to Max Gleiser's office, and Crockett and Tubbs show up as their alter egos, Sonny Burnett, but now Tubbs is playing somebody by the name of Topo Maniere. They meet with Gleiser and Crockett, and he seemed to have history. Crockett introduces Tubbs as Topo, an arms purchaser. Topo says he wants to help some brothers in arms. He reads off a list of munition he wants, like, he wants like a wish list to Santa from the Sears catalog. Uh, Max says... <laughs> that sums it up, yeah, don't it? <laughs> it sums it up. Max says some items are quite popular. Max gives a name on who to see and tells them to, that Crockett should go alone. He didn't have a race card set on the list, but here we go. Senor Burnett. Hello, Max. Long time no see, or something. Say hello to Topo Manieri. This is Max Gleiser. It's a beautiful gun. Speaking of that, Mr. Manieri is interested in some specialty items. Big bangs and small packages. More bounce to the ounce. <laughs> My brothers wish to strike some blows for freedom. Ah, what type of blows? 10 61 millimeter mortars, 10 80 millimeter mortars, 15 M203 40 millimeter grenade launchers, five boxes of M67 fragmental grenades, five boxes of M14 incendiary grenades, 50 pounds of C4, 50 M25 anti-personal mines, and five stingers. A few left jabs, so to speak, huh? <laughs> Some of the items are quite popular these days. And he left out the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. Yes, G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. So now we're at Sean's place. Uh, Gina and Sean are post-coitus, discussing the whys and how he became who he is. He said he wanted peace, and through this, he killed his first Brit. Hmm, that doesn't sound like peace to me. So meanwhile, Zito and Switek are watching Bunny, and a small comedic interlude plays out while... Uh, Switek is grabbing some quote-unquote healthy lunch, a couple of burgers and fries, while Zito chimes in over the earpiece. Bunny walks out of a travel agency, and this kind of piques the interest of Zito and Switek. So they go check out what plans he made, if any. So now we move to another scene where Tubbs is outside of Sean's place waiting for Gina. He informs her that Sean is a terrorist. Gina seems just so blind to info that Tubbs has... And explains that Sean is peaceful now and goes on about the war in Ireland before the Brits took over. She won't back off and keep going with her instinct until there's a warrant. Uh, then Crocker goes into the backwoods and meets with Eddie Kay, who was the name that Max Gleiser gave them. And then there's some chicken there who starts rubbing on Crockett and he's onto her game and grabs her arm before she leaves with the money she just picked from him. Crockett gets down to business with Eddie. Uh, he gives Eddie the shopping list of arms. Eddie says he'll make some calls there, verify who Crockett is, uh, a.k.a. Burnett, and get back to him, maybe. This kind of reminded me of the Glades. I was waiting for the other people to start poking their heads out of here. Hey, it's yes. you. <laughs> yes. Maybe that's where they filmed that little part in the Glades, just using the same scenery. Probably. Mm -hmm. So now we're at Bunny's place here. Zito and Switek, they're still keeping their uh, eye on Bunny and Sean, and they see both of them leaving in a Jeep. Meanwhile, Castillo here is meeting with Cross during lunch, somewhat civil, and they discuss what's going on with Sean. Castillo 
says the, the Irish have rights. Cross disagrees. I'm sorry, Cross actually does agree, but he says terrorists don't. Cross wants to eliminate Sean anywhere. Castillo says, not in Miami. And then Cross says it's pretty much inevitable, which absolutely, you know, kind of makes sense. Operation is outside the department's normal chain of command. Minus two. England is under siege from terrorists. And I know who they are. I just want the tools to strike first and strike hard. Preventive detention to start with. The Irish have rights. The Irish, yes. Terrorists, no. Why should we give Karun rights he never gave his victims? He's committed eight homicides that I know about. God knows how many people he has really killed. I should be able to put a bullet in his ear wherever I find him. Not in Miami. Another bit in there, Mark, that I, I thought was humorous, just in typical Castillo fashion, crosses them, you don't like me very much, do you? And he goes, not my, not my job. <laughs> Whether to like him or not is awesome. But he didn't. He didn't get the stare. No, there was no stare. <laughs> but that was. I thought that was still funny. Uh, so anyway, while watching Bunny and Sean from afar, Zito and Switek are having issues with their surveillance mic and can't hear what the two are talking about. Bunny says more hitmen will try to kill Sean again. Sean is resolved to that fact, but he is tired of the blowing up of shopping centers. He has a different thing in mind as they look at an aircraft departing Miami airport. Meanwhile, at OCB, Trudy says she really can't talk sense into Gina on the facts about Sean. Cross thinks they can get whatever info from Gina that they will. Crockett pipes up to essentially say, lay off, we take of our own people. Also, what if Sean has changed pace and is nonviolent? Sonny giving a benefit of doubt here. Castillo attempts to quell Crockett's attitude Zito and Switek walk in and simply say they had not much happen while watching Sean and Bunny. Cross is hell-bent that Sean is planning something. Eddie calls in and says the gun buy is on. Two hours, be there, be square, and everybody departs uh, OCB. So now we'll fast forward here to Mac's office. Uh, Bunny is talking with Max about their needs and is confused on what the issue is with the supply and says that they should get first dibs, essentially. Max says when the goods for them will be available, pretty much, and in chimes, Sean. Boom, boom, boom. Didn't see him first here. No good. He wants the items in 36 hours. No more. Max still insists on the run on the inventory. Bunny thinks it's just essentially a shakedown for more cash. Max wants 100% up front. And lo and behold, Bunny has that half of him in a briefcase with him. Now, uh, Eddie's here is driving and uh, he's in a truck being driven to meet with Crockett with the goods that they want. Gets a call and obviously for Max saying that he needs the goods. So Eddie agrees at the obvious price that Max said. And then Eddie said that Sonny can scream that all at him, all he wants doesn't matter. He's going to be short some of the goods. And this, next, this next part's good here. A, yes. A change, if I... a change of vice. <laughs> Change of ice. But if I remember right, the deal that Sean and Bunny gave to Max was Max wanted 100% up front, but they were willing to pay 100% markup uh, from what the asking price was. Basically, get now get well, basically, that would uh, nullify any other deal that they made because how could you pass up money? And I oh, believe yeah. that's what Eddie, Eddie said, you know, hey, can't argue at a price yep. like that. Yep. 
So anyway, Eddie and the goons have his wares set up like the Swaparama already for Sonny and Topo. He tells them to stop the car and get out. Eddie informs Sonny and Topo that some items are a no-go and he would replace them with something else. Sonny says no, the Stinger's what they paid for and that's what they want. Sonny and Topo also notice the age of the arms and Sonny wants a guarantee they work. Eddie demonstrates and boom goes the spider. Stingers, pal. Stingers. That's what we ordered. That's what we paid for. That's what we want. These are dated 1980. So? So? What, do we look like we just fell off a cabbage truck or what? They've been on the shelf six years. So what? The Missouri was 45 years old. Lebanese didn't know the difference. How do I know these are going to go bang? You worried about that? Yeah. I think that's a reasonable concern. those of you that don't know just google swap o rama marina check it out tim and i are very familiar with one of those locations <laughs> so now we're at max's office here uh crockett and tubbs rather actually sunny and topo they pay max a visit and express their displeasure on eddie making toast of the spider max said that eddie must have thought sunny was questioning his integrity and wanted to make a point sunny wants to be made whole and Topo shares that his associates are going to be none too happy at the shortfall of weapons. Max says it's purely market conditions, supply and demand. Sonny starts playing America. hardball. Sonny starts playing hardball with Max's priceless statues until he gives up the name of the other buyer. <laughs> Max relents and says that it's none other than Sean and the time of the delivery. And now at OCB, Gina is shocked by the info that Sean is still a bad dude. The vice team with Cross are mulling over Bunny's travel details and bank details. Crockett deduces that Sean is going to waste the Concord that Bunny is supposed to be on. Cross is adamant that Sean gets arrested. Castillo wants to wait until products are delivered. Everyone will regroup here at 5 a.m. Gina is at Sean's place and she says she's received terrible news. She plays it off as a friend is sick and not expected to live. Sean consoles her. Gina rebuffs his advances and wants to be alone. He says he'll meet her for lunch as he has plans in the morning, and I believe is at 10 a.m. So now we're at Cross's, uh, I believe it's his condo, not his hotel. But anyway, Cross, is, mm -hmm. actually, no, he had his Cross at a hotel. Cross is relaxing in his hotel room, watching the news on TV, having a little drink. Maybe it's Irish whiskey. It should be, right? He then Put away more than a half a fifth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go for a handle, pal. He then makes a call to Sean and simply says that the beach scene is a bust. Sean doesn't know who this is. Answer, you bastard. Hello? They know about the beach. They know. Who the hell is this? Who's talking? And at OCB, Castillo is handling out assignments on this bust, I guess you could say, on pretty much how it's going to go down. Gina and Trudy are assigned to radio, but Gino wants to be at the bust. And Castillo just says, no, 
no stare. He just says no. So now the plan is put in action. Ops are go. Zeno and Switek are tailing Buddy, who is in his Ferrari. Croc and Tubbs follow him to a parking garage. Sean meets up with Eddie in a van and departs on foot with something in a large duffel bag. Wonder what that is. Croc and Tubbs spot Bunny leaving the garage in the van. Eddie was driving. Castillo and Cross are above in a chopper. Bunny and Eddie pull to a beach. The chopper is starting to land, and Crockett and Tubbs pull up. Eddie opens fire on the chopper, then all are shooting. Typical Miami Vice shootout once mm-hmm. an episode. Eddie is hit, then Crockett nails Bunny. Crockett and Tubbs clear the van, and I think that Crockett say Maroon's not here. Yeah, if you if you take a quick listen to this, he doesn't say his proper name, but take a listen. Maroon's not here. Yeah. Did they say Maroon or Karoon? It's it sounds like Karoon. It sounds like Karoon. Let's play one more time. It was so it was so fast though. One more time. Maroon's not here. Okay, my bad. Disregard. <laughs> <laughs> so at Metro, Trudy gets info that Sean received the call the night before this. She relays this to Castillo. Castillo arrests Cross. Crock and Tubbs can't get Zito and Switek on the radio. They figure Sean will take out the plane on the ground now from the garage. Mark, do you want to finish this up? Sure, but in my defense, I didn't have headphones on when I was actually watching the episode to take notes. So, there. Eh, no biggie. Yeah. <laughs> so, rounding out the episode, Crock and Tubbs, they're hightailing it to the garage. Gina leaves Metro. And, you know, Trudy's like, what are you going? I got work to do. You know, she's like, I, I could get there faster than them. Uh, Gina leaves Metro and heads to the garage. Crockett and Tubbs, they pull into the garage and find Zito and Switek tied up in the van. Meanwhile, Sean here, he's on top of the garage and he's getting set up with the stinger. Gina beats Crockett and Tubbs to the top and draws down on Sean. And all while some sappy music is playing here. The last unbroken heart. Gina pleads for Sean to give up so she doesn't have to kill him. Please don't. I don't want to do this. I don't want to kill you. Crockett shows up and Sean starts to turn and then draw down on him. But then Gina pops him off first. He then falls off the garage. Splat. And he lands on the painted stop sign on the ground. Now I'm thinking, is that supposed to mean stop the killing in Ireland? You know, like one of those hidden meaning things? Who knows? Subliminal messaging? Yes, maybe. Yep. So, Crack and Tubbs console Gina, freeze frame, end of episode. Oh, good episode. And the la- that- Sean's last words of Gina were, it's not your war, Gina. Now, in for the ratings. IMDb gives us 7.9 out of 10. Not bad. And Tim, your thought? Mark, this episode kicked off a great start to this new season. And as a side note, Dick Wolf of Law & Order fame took over as the line producer from Michael Mann. As a result... The episodes featured a rip from the headlines, which is characteristic of the Law and Order series. The first thing I did notice was crock and tubs with different hairstyles and color schemes for the clothing. But overall, this was a good old-fashioned police work to uncover the plot hatched by Karun and Berrigan. This episode was Gina-centric, as it was the first time in the series that they made her a pivotal focus in an episode. The Zito and Switek hijinks continue along with good, their good detective work. Castillo is still Castillo. I love the scene where the OCB ops was designed and executed with a couple of hiccups because Scotland Yard agent Cross tried to put the kibosh on the game plan so he could personally take out Karun. It was good to see Izzy back as well. 
big thumbs up for this episode. We will see as the series progresses how the rip from the headlines either adds or detracts from the show's popularity. Remember that our season two review with Marina included the why did they write this episode? Does the Dick Wolf strategy pay off or not? Stay tuned. Tim, this is a solid, exciting episode for the start of season three. I can already tell just like you by the difference in the Miami Vice style and clothing and stuff. And again, we know that things change with the producer soon, but just a subtle style and wardrobe is definitely noticeable. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, the story was good. The characters were perfect and powerful. And this absolutely did play into real life issue in Ireland. I mean, I'm, I think it's still going on as far as I know, but you know. It's... No, it ended in uh, 1998. Okay. You know, there's probably still tension, I'm sure. You know, I mean, sure. stuff just Always doesn't will die. Be. Uh, anyway, this episode pretty much reminds me of a Colombo episode titled The Conspirators, in which arms are purchased and destined for Ireland. But good old Colombo nabbed them just as a ship set sail. And so did Vice. Well, kind of flopped, right? In essence, just before playing crescendos. All of Vice's here, Izzy and Manny too. Castillo's curtness in his commands are here, and so's Air Crockett's impressions. This episode didn't fall flat, but Sean did. One of the things you mentioned, Mark, in your review is that we'll see as a season how, like the whole thing with the new producer, we'll see as the season goes along. If listeners want to go back to our Phyllis Schill episode and at least listen to our interview with Paul Diamond, he does talk about this the changeover between man and wolf and mm -hmm. what kind of effect that had on a series. Right. So just something if you want to go back and do a little research now that we're in the Dick Wolf era of Miami Vice. And let's take a quick peek at the music for this episode. First up, we've got Imagine by John Lennon. That's the opening sequence showing the history of Northern Ireland conflict. Last Unbroken Heart by Patti LaBelle and Bill Champlin. That's when Gina and Karoon were performing coitus. And at the end when Gina kills Karoon. And Wildcats of Kilkenny by the Pogues. And that's after Crockett's Daytona goes boom. And we've got uh, no Jan Hammer music listed for this episode. Now we're on to the goofs, fun facts, and locations. Our first goof is, as Izzy struggles while walking a bunch of dogs around a street corner, a rack of clothes can be seen behind him in front of the building across the street on the far right side of the screen. In the next shot, Crockett and Tubbs drive past the building to stop Izzy and the rack is gone. A street vendor with a table and umbrella are in its place. And our next goof, while discussing with Kleiser the weapons he wishes to purchase, Tubbs mentions M67 fragmental grenades. The correct term is fragmentation. Get it right. Mark, our first location is St. Patrick's Church, 3700 North Meridian Avenue, Miami Beach, which is our opening scene. And our last location here, 4300 Northwest 22nd Street, and that's the Miami International Airport parking garage where Karun picks up the stinger, and then he's shot dead.
over to trivia portion of this episode. We didn't have one last episode, so we're going to kick off the season here. When Crockett and Tubbs meet with Eddie K to purchase the weapons, Topo, a.k.a. Tubbs, insinuates that Eddie has a problem conducting business with the black man. What does Eddie say in response? You can post your answers on this episode's Facebook post, or you can email us at miamivice at duck.com. And we've arrived at Snurge Chalkboard of Wisdom, where we hope to inspire, enlighten, or make you snicker a little bit. In the world of Miami Vice and our world at large, we encounter many challenges we work to overcome. In the interest of creating a family-friendly atmosphere through the show and our social media, we always like to offer some parting thoughts. Be it a simple quote, phrase, or words of encouragement, or something funny, we like to do that for you, our listeners, because without you, our friends, we'd just be talking to ourselves. And we say you're our friends because that's what we consider all of you who follow our show and social media. Now, kicking off season three here, this one's going to be a little bit longer, so please bear with me. Each of us has a dream, a heart's desire. It calls to us. And when we're brave enough to listen and bold enough to pursue, that dream will lead us on a journey to discover who we're meant to be. All we have to do is look inside our hearts and unlock the magic within. Ready to begin? Let the wonder take hold. Feel it draw you in. Watch the moment unfold. Spark a dream that we're meant to follow, setting out for a new tomorrow. Every step we take brings a new hope, a new day. Every choice we make helps us find our own way. Every wish finally put into motion, diving in with our hearts wide open. The story comes alive when we look inside. A new adventure there in your eyes. It's just beginning. Feel your heart beat faster. Reach out and find your happily ever after. We encourage everyone listening to be a positive force, not only in your life, but others. It's contagious and can make our world a better place. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us on this review. We hope you found this episode exciting and entertaining. If you enjoyed it, please consider subscribing to our podcast and following us on our social media channels to stay updated on our latest episodes and fun content. On Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, we are Vice at Miami Podcast. Your support means everything to us. And if you have a spare moment, we would be incredibly grateful if you could leave us a rating and review on those channels. This helps us reach more listeners and continue producing great content. Thanks again for listening, and we can't wait to share more with you soon. So we'll catch you next time on the Vice of Miami podcast covering Episode 2, Stones War. Now, faded punks. 